It was fun to figure out how much a ton of shit literally is. Welcome to Front Yard Politics, where we examine the world through the lens of urban farming and agriculture. For more information, check out christinehlee.com slash frontyardpolitics. Dustin Schell and Alexander Chi are longtime residents of New York City who have recently found an opportunity to fulfill their dreams of full-scale gardening. Dustin previously had a community garden plot the size of a grave in New York City. It was located in the Clinton Community Garden in Manhattan's Hell's Kitchen, where he gardened for over 20 years. Then they moved to rural Vermont. He and Alex started their own garden in the midst of a pandemic in their first year as homeowners. And they share their own lessons learned in the journey they have taken in creating their own space. Most significantly, they talk about starting with what they had and around obstacles, which include getting sick in the early weeks of the COVID pandemic. I also got to witness their glee in expanding their garden space beyond urban confines and the chance to explore their new rural landscape. Both Dustin Shell and Alexander Chi have been supportive posts in my life. I met them when I was married, and then I wasn't. In a crisis, you learn who will go through the crucible with you, and Dustin and Alex surely did. I'll never forget their support, which buoyed me and continues to buoy me. I'm truly tickled as they start a chapter of their lives in a new setting. From them, I got to revisit my first year with my urban farm and understand all about beginnings and changes in scenery. I thank Dustin and Alex for joining me on Front Yard Politics. Here is their story. First off, I want to thank you for joining me and sharing your experience as you've begun this journey of creating space not only with a new home, but in a new region and with land. We spent about a year and a half looking for it, I would say, maybe a little bit longer. We had initially thought we were going to uh, to buy this other place um, that had more, more house and more land, but was also more of a project. And, and throughout that whole period of dreaming about that place, we also were looking at other places. I think probably Dustin maybe more than I. Um, uh, Dustin has a... Dustin just likes to look for houses. Um, it's, uh, it's a sort of... I'll let him expand on that if he wants to. Um, I think we looked at at least... A- I looked at at least a couple of thousand homes online because we weren't looking in um, a particular town or village. We just needed to be approximately within 30 minutes of Dartmouth College. And that is wide open. So, um, you know, I, I was looking online for, um, like Alex said, over a year. And then when we lost our opportunity for our dream home, we went serious and we hit the ground and we looked at about 15 homes with a realtor and we had a couple picked out and then one of us saw this one for sale by owner on Zillow one day. We saw it the next day. We made the offer the next morning and got the house. So, um, 
the thing about this place is that we both knew that it was the place immediately. And what about that place said that? Alex? We had we had done uh, a certain amount of conversation between us, like uh, setting down what our what our deal breakers were, I guess, the things that we deal makers also, like the thing, like what are the things that you absolutely have to have to be happy? And you've been there, what, about a year? I forget now. No, no. Time, time no, no, flies no. and it's also slow and it's a pandemic and I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> you know, beyond the furnishings and so forth, we started thinking about the garden that we might plant. And Dustin, I think, has a lot more to say about that. And you're transitioning because you lived in the city before this, New York City. Yes. At, I mean, Dustin, in your case. And you're transitioning from the city to rural Vermont. And what an initiation, right? All um, of civilization erased, including electricity. And yes. one of the reasons that I started my garden was because I moved away from New York City. And I miss New York City so much. I moved away not completely agreeing with my own decision. And I decided to do everything that I could not do in New York City. And I knew that I had land in Berkeley. And so I started planting. And I'm kind of interested in your transition from the city to rural Vermont. And, you know, this is probably unexpected. It wasn't like 10 years ago you always had plans to go live in Vermont. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's so. Um, <laughs> kind of interested in like your decision-making process and why the garden came first after, well, after I'd painting. Like, I'd like to say um, first that I was a member of the Clinton Community Garden in New York City for about 27 years. So I had no idea. I want to ask some questions about that too. There are. This is a really big gem of a community garden. Um, it was uh, started in the 70s on empty lots. Basically, gardeners were cleaning and squatting, and then they had a fundraising um, mission. And uh, when the place went up for auction, the city came in and they matched it and made it a city park. So it's a community garden. It's also a city park with 108 plots and a big um, common area with... Whoa, in the middle of Hell's, Hell's Kitchen. On 48th Street between 9th and 10th Avenues. Uh, and there's beekeeping there, and there's a Native American bed, and there's a rose garden, and um, an, er an English herb garden. And I had one of those 108 plots for 26 or 27 years, and this was the first year that I gave it up. So I was transferring my sort of energy from there to so suddenly I went from having a plot that was about as big as a burial site <laughs> to, you know, as much as we can sort of imagine on this land. So, um, so yeah, that I, I wanted to say that I, I did come from an urban environment, but I was in a community that was gardening for most of the time that I was there. Well, then, I mean, I just looked it up. Community, Clinton Community Garden is in the middle of Hell's Kitchen in the most 
like one of the densest parts of the city. And then there's this meaning of claiming space takes ever more, like it becomes ever more precious because you went from, and if people are familiar with community gardens, they truly are the size of a burial plot. They're, they're pretty much one garden bed. Yeah. Um, they're smaller than the size of a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now you've got your own land, and I'm wondering what you allowed to unfold and are allowing to unfold on your own property. Like, what had you always wanted to grow while you kept this plot of land? What were your dreams? Because there's this metaphor we're talking about, too, as, you know, um, marginalized people in history who have been allocated tiny spaces and not a lot of room to really let their dreams and lives and identities unfold. And so now there's this parallel of you moving to the country and having more space that is your own. It is. Um, I would say uh, we had a little back and forth on this because we were planning, Alex was interested in um, having uh, a greenhouse built um, we were talking about like, where are we going to place the garden on this land? And, um, and I had ordered the seeds for planting, um, approximately a hundred seeds between, uh, vegetables, flowers, and herbs. And, um, and then COVID hit. And it hit quickly and it hit hard. So we were in the middle of this, uh, you know, we took the lockdown very seriously. And I was like, oh, well, why don't we start with what we have rather than trying to get in machinery and have people come onto our land and interact with us or bring in lumber or whatever it would take to fencing, whatever it would take to make our first garden, a combination of gardening by the foot and just, you know, getting things in where, where we, um, where we could, but COVID made us sort of think slightly smaller for this year. Um, And then, of course, I became ill, so we had actually done some of our planting of uh, the seeds indoors, which Alex kept while I was uh, in quarantine. And um, I would give him FaceTime tours of the seedlings (laughs) (laughs) so that he could Um, see the progress. Which I called our weirdos because each little one that comes up is like an individual, like little thing. And um, I loved watching the, the qualities of them change because they all kind of start out the same and then they become weird. So um, I call the seedlings our weirdos. And eventually we got them into the ground. So there was also, you know, a a certain kind of, uh, a certain kind of worry about uh, about food security that drove this as well. I had, you know, from the beginning of the Trump administration, food safety was an issue. Uh, the cuts that, you know, before COVID, there were con- very concerning cuts that he made to security regulations 
over the way meat is processed and the way uh, the way laborers are treated at the plants. Um, also, uh, pesticides, uh, environmental regulations, and so on. And so, I knew that. I knew they didn't have a plan to keep us safe because the only thing that they ever plan to do is to steal things. <laughs> they don't. They don't know how to do this, as we've seen. So, it has been incredible to eat food that we grew. Like that has been. That has felt so powerful, and in this way that I didn't anticipate. And Deeply satisfying from the first French yeah. breakfast radish. <laughs> I know the first thing you pull is truly the most beautiful thing. And they're also different. And I like your point about the little weirdos because seeds really, truly, I mean, it's kind of a miracle that they go from this like tiny thing and then they turn into a plant, but each seed also bears different plants, even if you plant five of the same kind. Right. Um, and I like the notion, too, of start with what you have. Because you started yeah. with what you have and you still, like, you built security for yourself. Um, it's only a little bigger than the garden plot in New York, uh, which, you know, I was an infrequent um, visitor to because I so often had to take jobs that took me out of New York in order to stay in New York. That was the kind of horrible irony of a writing teacher's existence. Um, so, you know, the, I, I would say, though, that what I remember about how we lived with the, with the garden plot that I really liked was I loved Hell's Kitchen Oregano. It's just, it has a very specific flavor for some reason. Who knows why? Um, I loved the bees, uh, or the honey, rather, that came from the bees in the community garden. I loved the roses uh, in the common space and the tomatoes that Dustin would bring home that he grew there. And For me, then, that small space ended up, it, was, it had shade in the back, and that's where I had some heirloom um, Midwestern plants, which I will get into if you'd like. My, they came from my great-grandparents' dairy farm, and they ended up going from my grandmother's land to my mother's garden, and then she would put them in my suitcases, and I would put them into the ground there. So um, in the back was a big rose and then some shade uh, plants, uh, bloodroot, lily of the valley, um, bleeding heart, and those were all from uh, my great grandparents' farm in Delaware, Wisconsin. Uh, I'm sorry, Delafield, Wisconsin. Um, I do want to hear more about that. Like for okay. me, it's like I, I want to know what you've planted, and inclusive, you know, like uh, under that, like I would like to know a little bit of how your relationship with your garden and your decisions are interacting with your history, clearly quite literally. <laughs> a little bit. I don't have any of those, um, uh, those heirloom plants here. And it's funny because my mom told me, and my mother, my parents are 81. They still live in Wisconsin. She still gardens. 
Um, I think my grandmother gardened until uh, until she left her house in her early 90s. But um, uh, my mother said, oh, the, the rhubarb that came from your grandmother finally just, it's been there for 53 years and it finally just like didn't come up this year. And I was like, oh, what are we going to do about that? But um, so you're, you're interested in what we have planted here this year. Alex, do you want to, I have a list, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dustin, Dustin did a lot of research into when we should plant and uh, like what seedlings had to be started when, according to when. I use the, the last almanac. Um, yeah. Which has a really the, great online source for, um, you know, a planting calendar for like your zip code. So, um, and I chose to do it uh, by the lunar, by the moon. And uh, we tried to get as close as we could, depending on like, you know, was I in quarantine or, you know, we we got as close as we could. But um, uh, so we did beets and turnips and two kinds of carrots, um, two kinds of radishes. Uh, leeks, onions, um, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, bok choy. Bok choy doesn't work here. We learned it bolts immediately. Um, it's really it can't. Take I love the meat. I love the flowers. We left. Them, we staked them and left them there, and they're like four foot plants with flowers on them. Oh, I know. It's beautiful. Carrots have beautiful flowers too, and then the bees are really happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, what else? Uh, there was another, it's funny, in the, in the catalog, it was like a Chinese cabbage, but I think... Oh, it was Celtus. Like, is it Celtus? Celtus? Is it Celtus? I think it might have just been like... It says Michele seeds? Um, no idea. Um, I think it might have been like a Napa. Like a Napa cabbage, actually. Um, uh, then uh, beans, peas, um, cucumbers, two kinds of squash, pumpkin, melon, watermelon, cantaloupe, Italian frying peppers, three kinds of uh, tomatoes, eggplant celery, um, basically all the herbs, all the herbs. <laughs> so this doesn't sound like a small garden. Well, <laughs> Alex said that it was comparable to the size of the one in the city. I think it was probably, it's probably about five times bigger. Oh, and I didn't, did I say that? I don't think I meant to. Uh, oh, okay. Because I was um, like, wow, that's a lot of productivity out of a car-sized Plot. <laughs> no. um, That's amazing. Sorry. I, I must be a little hazy from the heat. I meant to say that it was the size of our apartment in the city, our garden oh. here. Oh, okay. That yeah. makes more sense. Um, yeah, yeah, that's actually quite true. So, yeah, it's pretty big. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not giant. And I didn't put in a ton of everything. 
But we tried a little bit of everything because it's really the year for finding out what works the best. Oh, absolutely. And also just figuring out what you eat. And one of the things I discovered was that I planted all this stuff and I learned that there were things that I just didn't bother eating or didn't eat frequently enough right. for it to make, have made sense for me to plant. Right. Mm. We did probably six greens or so. We have, we have um, mescaline, sorrel, uh, a lettuce, uh, kale, spinach, and chard. And some of them work better than others. I'm trying desperately to keep up with all of them bolting in the heat. Mm-hmm. But, um, we- One thing that's interesting to me about our garden versus, say, our neighbor's garden is like, we've had a great year uh, uh, so far with arugula, and she can't grow it. <laughs> she has some sort of pest over there that, like, uh, that attacks her arugula. Meanwhile, her shard is glorious. Like, it's huge, and ours is a little... Shard um, shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> really, right? Um, it's interesting, like, the bugs just choose... But you're exactly right. We are learning what we eat. We're learning. Um, we're not big salad eaters um, all winter we long. Are now we have to force ourselves. And now we're like we're making salads out of just um, turnip greens, or like we're making pestos and salads out of all of these things. And it's basically like what needs what needs to come out next. And it's usually like everything at once. But um, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Alex has been making some wonderful pestos. And then with the the leftovers that are just on the side of the mixer, he puts in oil and vinegar and does it, it pulses it again and makes um, a dressing out of it. And it's it's been amazing. A little Sri Raja also. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, you learn that you can pretty much kimchi most things. You can kimchi kale. <laughs> Um, oh. use your freezer. Yeah, the kimchi, I kimchi some kale and it really is delicious. Oh, wow. And it stands up because it's so strong, the, the bite's still there. Uh, you mm. learn to use your freezer and put all your herbs in ice cubes with olive oil. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a mason jar shortage now because everyone's learning that you can can a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's After the seed something. shortage comes the mason jar shortage. Yes. I mean, coming from the Midwest and with Alex coming from Maine and both of our grandparents on one side coming from dairy farms, we come from a long line of canning. I've never done it. I don't think Alex has ever done it. And I'm not sure... I'm- I'm not sure I want to, but we'll see how much. I might do pickles. Maybe I'll do pickles this year. It's hard, especially when it's hot. Like I can can out here in Berkeley because it's 65 degrees right now. And the thought of boiling water isn't, doesn't paralyze me. Right. But if it were 100% humidity and anywhere above 75 degrees, I think I would perish at the thought of boiling water, hot water, in addition to the steam coming off, um, you know, the world. So I also kind of want to know what land ownership means to you, because you have this plot in the Clinton Community Garden, 
And it wasn't your own, but it was something that you could use. Now you have ownership. And there's a history of discrimination in the history of the United States as to who is allowed land, who is not allowed land, who is allowed to live in certain places, and discrimination against that. So what does land ownership mean to you? And what is growing things on the land mean to you? Because a lot of people will own land and say, and now I will put all inedibles. I'm going to put a big old lawn on it. But your decisions are unique. (laughs) Alex? I, yeah, I, I found something very peculiar as soon as we moved in, which is that I would catch myself standing by the bathroom window, looking at like a, a dried leaf hanging on a branch and some pine needles. And I'd be so moved to just stand there and think like, this is my fucking place. <laughs> um, I guess I'm still processing what it means to me. I've never felt particularly at home in the United States and I still don't really. Um, I still have questions about whether I have essentially trapped us uh, with this purchase. Like if we're, um, like if I should have bought something overseas and left. Um, But I, for now, if I have to be here, I'm really happy that I'm here, you know. I think at some point in the house buying process, I realized that we weren't just picking a home, we were also picking a community. And, and so that, I started paying attention to, you know, what the laws were in a particular place that we were looking regarding, say, our rights as gay men. Um, also, the relative friendliness of the community. We'd usually ask someone uh, about like what what's it like to, to be gay there? And you know this town that we chose, uh, which I don't I don't want to name it because I don't want people to know. Um, but it's very small. And what's funny to me is that even as small as as it is, it's also the first place that anyone ever threw us a welcome to the neighborhood party. And that actually meant a lot to me and I think also to Dustin. Really fun. We liked everybody who came. You know? um, uh, there, there's another gay couple right up the road that we've socialized with uh, that we like quite a bit. Who's also a colleague of mine at the college. And, and so it's, it has felt more instantly more welcoming than a lot of other places that I've lived. There's also things like we have a, our, our CSA is eight miles away, and which is so easy. And we get milk, cheese, or this week we start getting meat from them. Um, mushrooms. Mushrooms, blueberries. 
uh, all learning from this area of Vermont. All of the produce is coming from the farm, and then they sort of source some of these other things, and we drive our eight miles to the farm and get it. Um, It's really wonderful. Uh, Unfortunately, when they give us radishes and kale on top of our own, then we're like, what are we going to do this week? So, and that's just a gamble because there's no way we're ever going to know. So we've been getting a lot of roughage. You kimchi it. Kimchi it. You totally kimchi it. I will give you my recipe. (laughs) Good. Um, and those CSA boxes are a great inspiration, uh, especially if they're nearby, for what ideas for what you can grow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, although it, then you can't subscribe because then you will have double of everything in that box. Exactly. We also have a we have a baker who grows his own grains and mills them for the for the bread that he makes, and he delivers to the bottom of the road to a box down there. So like all, every, all of us who, who subscribe to him get our bread from out of that box. They take our bread orders uh, through an email between a Friday evening and a Sunday at noon when they begin milling based on the bread orders they received. And then they mill and bake and on Tuesday morning deliver the bread. It's kind of unbelievable. It's I feel like I'm living in another time in another place. So we're really grateful for them. Yeah, you're able to really pres- subscribe to um, eating local. Because I, I read about that baker. And he grows his own spelt and rye. Yes. And, and uh, truly ancient grains. Mm-hmm. Um, and grinds it himself. And in fact, I think he harvests a lot of it himself, too. And I think he's, what, over 60. And doing yeah. This. Right. So, oh, you know what? I, I don't I don't know that. But um, for instance, this week they said um, we'll take your bread orders, but we won't be taking. Um, they also sell freshly milled flour, but they said, oh, we won't be selling flour this week because as soon as we um, uh, mill the we it was something about the wheat harvest. So, like they were like, we're we're taking time off from from flour to to harvest the wheat. So. What do your mothers like? You know, what do you think your grandmothers would think of your garden? What do your mothers think of your garden? My mom is really uh, pleased that we're doing it. Um, it's it's opened up a whole new uh, series of conversations for us. Also, where you know, growing vegetables in Maine is a lot like growing them in Vermont. And so I've been able to ask her questions about what works for her and what she does in certain situations, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been, that's been very nice to just have that, uh, have that different kind of conversation. My, you know, my, my grandmother in Korea, my dad's family, um, they had, they had a garden in Seoul. Uh, they, I don't recall that they grew vegetables there. They had these two massive persimmon trees in the backyard that would uh, just give so much fruit. And I remember the house went to my oldest uncle, my uncle Bill, and he 
he would have his uh, he would have his assistants gather them in baskets and bring them to the police department, to local police, <laughs> which is insanely sweet to me somehow that he would, that he would drop it, these off. Um, Bribery by persimmons. <laughs> by persimmons. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I, now, now that I think about it, I wonder if, if, we, this, if this is for a zone for persimmons here. Yeah. Um, when we uh, attained this property, it actually does have, it's surrounded by woods, but it does have about a, an acre of lawn. And, um, you know, that's fine. I have to mow it every 10 days or whatever, but um, I'm interested in putting in an orchard. We're on a, um, a south-facing slope um, going down to the Pampanusic River, and um, it's all perfect for for fruit growing so alex i have i have the paperwork i'll see if, if there are any persimmons what is your philosophy on lawns you know because that that's the other thing it's like lawns are a tide over from europe and um an emulation of like what the wealthy do right this is land that we we so don't need to grow that we're just going to build a lawn on it is that statement right i think for here it's a good tick barrier it keeps the wild you know away from right next to the house um we're not i mean we're not obsessively uh we don't weed it for example we haven't tried to reseed it we haven't um, we haven't used any pesticides or or weed killers, uh, so it's it's not exactly letting it go wild because we're definitely mowing it. But you know, part of it is covered in wild strawberry, uh, those sort of those tiny strawberries that are too small to really even bother eating. Um, they look like Barbie strawberries. <laughs> um, and there's we're surrounded by wild blackberries and raspberries and um in fact i it's time to pick them it's time to pick them so we have to go down to the edge of the lawn and pick all the berries which are coming up the hill so and it's amazing and you're feeding the birds around you and the wildlife mm -hmm. we have a local bear um we don't see him because we are pretty careful about what we have outside, but um, our neighbors um, send us pictures all the time. <laughs> they have a bird feeder that we call a bear feeder that they keep uh, pretty full that he snacks on. And they sent us, a neighbor sent us a photo and he looks sleek, fit, and very happy. <laughs> uh, local bear is doing great. Um, we, ha we haven't seen too much wildlife on the property. We had, uh, we had an episode with this gorgeous, massive, giant turkey that just came through during turkey season, actually, and walked around as if it owned the place. And for all I know, it does. <laughs> um, uh, 
We have a chipmunk that lives in the wall that Dustin was talking about that comes out and Dustin has seen him stealing the ornament, ornamental strawberries that have grown. Um, that chipmunk thinks he owns our garden because we put our garden on top of where he lives. Um, but he's always complaining at us. So far, it seems as though he's not interested in eating what we're growing, and um, I'm waiting for that to change because I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be surprised one day. So, what are your dreams for this house? Like, you know, like how has it been going? You know, you're now about to start harvesting and are delighted with what it's brought you. Kudos to you for starting a garden in the middle of having COVID. Thank you. Um, um, that's no small accomplishment. Well, I'm kind of, I'm a big project guy. So um, all of my plans are kind of structural. Um, and, you know, uh, there's, the, there's the garden to keep up, perhaps find another place for it if we, I kind of love it where it is, but um, I think that's something that we'll have to, a decision we'll have to make together. Um, there's the orchard. Uh, your dreams are my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, I don't plus answer. Are you going to get chickens, goats, livestock? No goats. I can't. Um, I think I've told you before that I am interested in chickens. Um, I haven't gotten there. They're, they're sort of like somewhere on like the middle of the list like the whole list would be like an entire like permaculture, you know, property. Um, so chickens are somewhere in the middle of an imaginary list, but I, I've already researched coops and where they would go and all of that. So, yeah, I, I like your philosophy of start with what you have. Yeah. And so there's, um, you know, the, the best advice people have given that I've seen is when you start an urban farm is you um, don't start it at huge scale. You start small and start adding to things. Um, and that is so much like, I, I don't know why that, that line really resonates with me is start with what you have and um, make with, make what you can with what you have. So I mean, it was interesting. Here. Yeah. It was interesting watching the things that had been planted here come up. You know, there was a little bit of wild rhubarb that we found. There was uh, two kinds of irises that the previous owners had planted. I think the original owners. Well, I want to thank you for your time. And oh. I thank you for sharing your experiences. It was so nice of you to send us those seeds uh, when our own seeds were late. And we thought maybe our, our seed purveyor was dead. They were for a while. I was like, you know, I'm just going to send everybody seeds because I got really anal and ordered them in December. Um, so I'm like, oh, you know, when am I going to plant 60 cucumber seeds? Right? Like, <laughs> that's the other thing is each of these packets come with 30 to 40 seeds. Like, in a pandemic, they should have like a five seed packet. It's true. They didn't know, so they don't have that packaging. But I'm like, I don't need... 28 more of these. <laughs> and so I think that everybody's houses are filled with these extra seeds in their closet. When they say they're like... Could be. 
What's that, Alex? Oh, I said could be. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. When they say that it's made for you know planting in the 2020 season, can you plant it in the next one too? Absolutely, you can. Okay. Cool. Um, their best results are that season, and then it does start fading. But most of the time, if they're five years or or newer, yeah. um, they're completely viable, and they will be viable ten years and beyond. Uh, you may have to put more than a, a couple seeds in each pot. Right. After a few years, but mm-hmm. they, sh- they, they work. Good. Then I have tons. <laughs> yeah, you're good. I'm like that for next year. <laughs> and then there are all these little tricks, like you could make lactic acid bacteria. It's a Korean natural farming technique. And you could soak, you know how they say soak the seeds first for some yeah. certain seeds. You could soak it in that. Yeah, you take, it basically is founded off the fact that Korean farmers would throw kimchi, leftover kimchi in the fields. And then they were like, why are these plants growing so well? Because they've been fertilizing them. Yeah. And lactic so acid. what they found out was it was the lactic acid, which is the Korean, that's what the kind of fermentation happens. So there's this formula you can make with like, you wash your rice, you take the washed rice, rice wash off, and then um, you cover it with like a cheesecloth and just let it sit and care, uh, get bacteria. And then... After a few days, it'll start kind of getting a little funky. Then you put in a ton of milk, preferably like unhomogenized, as raw as you can, um, in there so that then the bacteria that likes calcium can prosper. And there's a ratio. I usually do it one to four. Other people do it in different ratios. And then the thing turns on, like kind of starts getting this interesting funk. It's not like putrid. Although the sheep's milk, I did an experiment. Sheep's milk didn't turn out smelling great. <laughs> so great. Um, but it becomes this liquidy thing, and you can spray it on your plants. Um, I have sprayed it over soil that was delivered that was so sterile that it was disturbing because they have to sterilize topsoil if they deliver it to you. So I've yeah. sprayed it on that to give it life. It's very mild, but I often use it to soak seeds in. And it just kind of gives them an extra oomph, like probiotics for plants. Hmm. Oh, wow. Made, made me think. We did bring in a 1,000 pounds of manure. So uh, <laughs> that is the one thing we did to prepare our soil, um, which, you know, had been used for 25 years for different purposes. And um, since it was a small enough area, we brought in, a thousand pounds of manure we'll probably do more next year and um that's one thing that we did to prepare early yeah, soil the- gets depleted like i have uh, somebody who's um spoken earlier on this podcast and he every winter would put fish heads in the soil mm-hmm. i mean like from the butcher not real right um in the soil and would just bury them before the cold weather comes so critters can't dig them up and then that really um fills the soil up with nitrogen and calcium and all the other things. There's all these like things that people do for soil conditioning. There's like compost drenches, compost teas. And that's when you go nth level nerding out. <laughs> it was fun to figure out how much a ton of shit literally is. I love new beginnings. And I thank Dustin and Alex for providing me with insights into how they are beginning their garden. Their garden has provided them with inspiration and hope and sustenance in the context of a pandemic. 
You can learn more about Dustin Shell and his work with Still Queer and LGBTQ reading series at stillnorthbooks.com. You can learn more about Alexander Chi at alexanderchi, spelled C-H-E-E, dot net. Thank you to Dustin Shell and Alexander Chi for being our guests. Thank you to Orion Lutizi for sound engineering and production. And thank you for joining us and listening in. Stay tuned for more episodes of Front Yard Politics, where we examine the world through the lens of urban farming and agriculture. For more information on Front Yard Politics with show notes, you can go to christinehlee.com slash frontyardpolitics.